Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Red Letters Supplemental. Yes, it seems like I've been promising a supplemental for a year. <laughs> it's been a it's been a while. Actually, since the accident, nothing has been right with me. But that's okay. My personal life has always been a little bit of a toss-up, but um Work has mostly dried up for me, which is why I have a little bit more time to do things like supplementals now. Kind of lost a lot of my momentum during the injury, and now I just have to figure out life past that point. It's not going to ever be the same as it was again, but I will land on my feet. I will be fine. Worry not. Now... If you are concerned that I am doing this in the middle of traffic, your concerns are not justified. There is traffic. There's a freeway nearby. I'm doing this outside. I came to Panera this morning. Yeah, Panera. My wife and I come out here from time to time. I wanted to get some writing done. And uh, I wrote up the supplemental. And now I am out here walking around the shopping complex where Panera is located. And I am just doing this on one of my mobile rigs that I don't get to use very often. So I like taking it outside from time to time. It is cold. It's 40 degrees. I'm not talking about that Celsius crap. I'm talking about real 40. (laughs) So... um, that's cold. That's cold for me. And the wind is not great. Ah, lawnmower man. Always love that for a recording. All right, so let's get into this. We talked about money, working hard for the money. Uh, so I didn't just start thinking about the issue of money and the church. When I was in the church, I spent probably four or five years of my life studying the issue of money, contributions, uh, how it's used, uh, salaries, church buildings, the the whole thing around the financial complex. And so even though in my write up, I say, you know, this is this is my opinion. And I think and there is no real authority on this at the end of the day. I don't care how many dusty old libraries you go to and how many thick books you read on the subject uh there's there's only speculation for a lot of this because it just kind of pops up you know if you if you start with the bible think about the synagogues in the old testament you've got you know the temple and then in the gospels they're the synagogues. Where did they come from? They just sprang up out of nowhere. <laughs> just nowhere. Just synagogues. No synagogues. Then there were synagogues. And you have no idea, if you're just reading the Bible, how this came about. You just have to go with it. You've got to roll with it. And most people do. In fact, most people don't even notice it. Yeah, synagogues. Sure, there were always synagogues, right? No, <laughs> there weren't. 
Um, so, so it is with things like money, church buildings, preachers, and the like. Paying preachers, preacher salaries in particular, where does that come from? You know, it wasn't there, and then suddenly it was there. Just out of nowhere, it just dropped there. You don't get any background for it, and you don't get any explanation for it. There's no exposition on, well, any of it. And so, we just look at the writings of Paul and assume it was always there. But it wasn't. It was no more always there than synagogues were always there. And uh, there are things like that in the New Testament. And we just have to live with it, you know? We've just got to work with it. Got to do our best to get around with it. And we can try to do as much research as we can and deal with historical context and theological inference and things like that. But I, I just want to be very clear before I launch into this that... Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and, and nobody knows what they're talking about. So I probably know more about what I'm talking about than the average person who doesn't know what they're talking about because I spent a lot of years studying it. But when you spend a lot of years studying it, what you discover is that no one knows what they're talking about and that, and that there really is no way to get definitive answers on some of this. So. I'm not going to pro uh, prosecute the entire issue. I want to. I want to focus on one issue in particular: the issue of paying preachers and how much they should be paid. So, as a former kind of minister myself, I can I can talk about the modern realities of it, but I, I, that's that's boring. It's not. It's not really all that interesting. The debate in the church is over whether you should get paid. A modest salary or a ginormous salary with huge compensation packages including jet planes you know the the war is real you know, there's this whole complex of preachers who spend a lot of time railing against prosperity teachers and they will just outright say, those preachers over there are scammers. They're wrong. They're sinners. They're evil. They're preaching a false doctrine. And then the prosperity teachers will say, those preachers over there who are preaching against prosperity, those are wrong scammers, false teachers. <laughs> you know, um, it's, a, it's a pretty big split in the church. Uh, and it's not, it's not all that quiet. But the question that I want to look at for this supplemental is which side is right? Which side is right? I'm going to give you a spoiler because I don't plan for this supplemental to take that long. Did I mention it's cold out here? <laughs> so uh, the spoiler is a pox on both their houses. All right, let's get there. I've got five points. Point number one, job description. So we've got to do a little bit of background, just a little bit of background. 
before tackling the question head on, what is a preacher? What is a preacher? Can you explain it strictly from the point of the Bible, strictly from that source? Is there a good definition that you can give for preacher? How about teacher? Preacher and teacher, can you say that there is actually a biblical difference between preacher and teacher? Or is this just a a conflation of the same thing? Be honest, have you even thought about this? (laughs) Right? If you have thought about this, I think that you're going to run into real problems answering that question. I, I, and I will just tell you kind of where I land on this. I think that preacher and teacher is just a conflation. I don't think that we're talking about different roles. I know that they're sometimes spoken of in the Bible as if they were different things. But I, I, I kind of see them as the same thing, maybe different sides of the same coin, as it were. You know, you, you hear about elders and bishops and overseers and presbyters. Those are different words that mean the same thing. An elder is a bishop, is an overseer, is a presbyter. A preacher and a teacher is really the same thing. How about preacher and evangelist? Those might be different things. They might be. But rather than go through the entire list of the prophet, I mean, what's a prophet? So before we go through the entire list of church officials that Paul talks about, I just want you to focus on the one thing, preacher. What is a preacher? What is the job description of preacher? Once again, never mind your local church for the moment. Just focus entirely on the Bible, such as you know the Bible, okay? Some of you will know it better than others. That's okay. What is the job description of a preacher? I'm going to help you out. You don't know because it doesn't say anywhere, (laughs) nowhere. Is there anything that looks like a job description for an official role? of preacher. Just never laid out. There, there are some places where you might find that someone is called a preacher, and then you might see, you know, who that is and what they were doing, what their role in the church was. But there's, you can only go so far there. I mean, Apollos. What did Apollos do? You have no idea is the answer to that. <laughs> so, um, was he a preacher? Sure. Was he evangelist? Yes. But what was his actual role, and did he get paid? You don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Nobody can know the answer to that. So, now we have a little bit of a problem. We've got this role of preacher, and we've got this modern analog, which I suspect doesn't look anything like what, um, you know, it would have looked like in the first century. So, we come to another question about job description, which is qualification. 
right? What are the qualifications of a preacher? Do you know what the qualifications are? I don't. I don't. Now, you might look at, uh, you know, a book like uh, Titus or 1 Timothy, and you might find something that looks like a list of qualifications, all right? That's possible. But that list of qualifications is for the role of elder. And I've already said elder, bishop, presbyter, overseer. It's kind of a conflation of the same thing. We're not talking about elders, or are we? Because there does seem to be some kind of distinction between preacher and elder. And even the qualifications that uh, the Bible gives us for elder, they're not nearly as clear as you think they are. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not clear. Churches debate this hotly to this day. The, the role of elder. And deacon, what about deacon? Is, is, is a deacon an official church officer? Some churches, Southern Baptist churches especially, uh, really, really care about this role of deacon. That's a very important role. Right? Um, other churches, they don't, they don't have any reference to a role of deacon at all. Paul talks about deacons. Now, when I say Paul, we've got another problem. Because mostly what we find as far as uh, descriptions and qualifications for deacons and elders come from the pastorals, which almost no scholar believes that Paul wrote. So Paul, Paul didn't even write those. They would have come later, well after Paul's death, and after the church had already taken on a different form even than what it was in Paul's day. All right, so there, there's some problems there. Uh, and once again, we're focusing on preacher, not elder, deacon, bishop, presbyter, overseer. Unless you want to make the case that, that preacher also should be a part of that conflation. So... What are the qualifications for a preacher? Well, the only thing that we can say is the Bible doesn't give any qualifications for a preacher. None whatsoever. So anybody can just be a self-proclaimed preacher. And they would be just as correct and qualified to be uh, called a preacher as someone who graduated after eight years of seminary. From a biblical point of view, one is no more qualified than the other. Again, if this may be something uh, that is a new thought or a new idea to you, but you have to understand that not all church denominations hire people out of seminaries. A, a lot of churches don't really... Uh, respect seminary education because they would say that you know what preachers in the Bible didn't have a seminary education there are other things that are way more important for the qualifications of a, of a preacher all right I agree with that by the way <laughs> so uh, that's fine but there there also isn't anything wrong with 
a seminary education if uh, if that's the way you want to go. But getting a seminary education does not actually qualify you to be a preacher. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make. Oh, this person uh, went to se- seminary and he graduated, so he's qualified to be a preacher. He's not. <laughs> Uh, the Bible uh, doesn't actually say in different churches, different congregations decide for themselves what uh, they will hold as a qualification for the job of preacher. And the job of preacher is defined differently by different congregations. Sometimes this is settled at the denominational level. But independent churches just decide it for themselves. They're independent businesses. You know, the, uh, the rules for being a store manager at Walmart are very different than the rules of being a store manager if you're the one who owns the store. So, um, so it is with qualifications. But if what you're hoping for is to find something in the Bible that helps sort this out, you are going to be very disappointed because it's simply not there. Okay, it's point number one. Um, job description. We don't we don't really have it. Point number two. Uh, the background to to understanding my view on this. Location, uh, place of work. So whatever a preacher is supposed to be. Where do they work? What is their area of jurisdiction? Well, that largely depends on how you define the role of preacher, doesn't it? Today, we think of a preacher as the, uh, the head or at least visible leader of a local congregation slash church. All right, That's, that could be a preacher. I think that's probably the most common idea. I'm not entirely sure where that idea came from. But that is that is one idea. It's one it's one thought. All right, so what's the local church? What is the local church? Where do where do we get that idea from? Well, once again, this might uh come as a little bit of an unpleasant and jarring surprise to you. The Bible doesn't really give us the concept of the local church, (laughs) at least not as we understand it. The closest you can come to the local church in the early church as recorded in the Bible, in the New Testament, are house churches. So there was no church building, you know, with the church and a sign with a name on it. You know, and if the church was as persecuted as some Christians say, there couldn't have been such a thing. So these would have been, uh, you know, more on the hush-hush kind of meetings, privately held in private homes. Right? So, um... In a city like Corinth, the church at Corinth would not have referred to the building with the steeple on it that said church that, you know, church, church of Jesus Christ. It, it wouldn't have been 
anything like that. It would have been, you know, the church being all of the Christians in Corinth, wherever they happened to be in the various houses. And people would have known about these locations through, you know, something like clandestine networks, I would imagine. So when Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth, he's writing a letter to all of the Christians in the various house churches that are in and around Corinth. Right? It's not a it's not an independent congregation. You know, it's not one house. He didn't write a letter to one house and then a letter to a different house. You know, Church of Corinth number one, Church of Corinth number two. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And then the the letters that he wrote were passed around, you know, from church to church once again, probably via some sort of clandestine network uh, that they would have had. Now, that's not the situation that we have today. I suspect maybe by the time you get to the church at Ephesus and whoever's writing books like Titus and Timothy, Timothy, you do have something more like, you know, official places where the church met. You know, and even if they didn't have their own buildings, they probably had, you know, public places where they would normally meet at. They may have acquired the rights or permission to meet at a certain place uh, over time. But you don't, you don't actually have the kind of the temples and tabernacles and things that we have today. And historically, I don't know when that would have started. So, once again, if we're trying to figure out this about preachers, and we're only using the Bible to figure that out, you know, what the biblical role of preacher is, it doesn't actually seem that it would have much to do with a local church, because that kind of thing didn't really exist. My speculation is that preachers and teachers would travel in the cities amid the clandestine networks and go from house to house. You know, we see the term in a couple of places, from house to house. You know, they, they broke bread and had fellowship. From house to house. Well, who was traveling from house to house? I don't think that all of the Christians in the city were traveling from house to house, but the leaders would have been connecting with all of the Christians by traveling from house to house, if you see what I mean there. So, as the church grew, you know, as, as one location maybe is more successful, I can imagine that, you know, they might meet in a larger house. And since there was a practice of people giving houses to the church or property and things like that, you know, there, uh, eventually some churches would have been large enough to merit a dedicated house or building for their church. And at that time, maybe there would be a local preacher. Maybe those larger outfits or those more remote outfits started developing local preachers. But I don't think that's how it was at the beginning. In fact, I'm pretty sure that is not how it was 
from the beginning. And so then you have the problem of, well, who is responsible for paying the preacher if there's one preacher that services lots of locations? And the answer to that question would be all of them. If you look at how Paul talks to uh, the Corinthians, Paul uh, apparently is a key person who planted the Corinthian church. He got it started. Um, and so from his point of view, he had a right to be paid by the church at Corinth, just like he had a right to be paid by every other church that he ministered at or, or implanted. And he planted lots of churches all over the place. And so uh, you could say that Paul started a franchise and he had a right to be on the take from all of the franchisees. This is, this is the argument that he's making in Corinth. Now, was it just Paul who had this right? No, apparently all apostles who, and by this time, we don't know what was considered an apostle exactly. So people like Paul who are church planters, evangelists, they probably were generically called apostles. And the idea is every place they planted a church, they had a right to get money from. I have actually been a part of churches today where preachers, country preachers in you know, remote country areas, they have planted churches dotted along the, the countryside and so forth. And they visit those churches um, that they plant and they get compensation from all of those churches. I've, I've seen that exact model and I've heard it justified by Paul's example. And frankly, I think that if you're looking for a biblical example for this, that is the right one. Uh, so that, that is probably a fairly accurate view. That's not what we do today. You know, churches are rather more independent by and large today. So each congregation pays its own preacher. And, you know, they might take up a special collection for a visiting preacher or a visiting missionary or something like that, but they don't have any real obligation to uh, anyone except their local preacher. All right. So a couple of more points. I think we can be quick. So with a, with a little bit of that background, what is the right model then? Should preachers just be paid very little or paid a lot? In fact, if we want to define the continuum, on one end of the continuum, preachers are paid nothing at all. On the other end of the continuum, they're, they're paid in jet planes. Right? And I am going to eschew the answer of the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I don't actually think it does. <laughs> so, um, and in fact, I'm, I don't think I like the continuum at all, but that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what we're dealing with. So let me, let me explain. Let's look at the first answer, which is preachers shouldn't be paid anything. Well, you are not going to find any preachers who are going to tell their congregations or the internet that preachers shouldn't be paid anything. I've tried. <laughs> Good luck if you uh, find such a person. I love you. 
love for you to present that uh, video, but uh, preachers have kind of a motivated interest here. <laughs> they're, they're not exactly uninterested parties, and uh, you better believe that preachers want to be paid. So among preachers, the question isn't whether preachers should be paid or not. It's a matter of how much. But I, I want to introduce the question of should they even be paid? Right? Because I'm not a preacher. <laughs> I don't, I'm not getting paid anyway. So um, I have nothing to lose. I, I do believe that, I do believe that uh, people ha who have Patreons should be paid. <laughs> is that is that a motivated interest? Um, I think it is. Um, but no, I, I think that a, a very good case could be made that preachers shouldn't be made. In fact, you can find this argument on the internet among people who are not preachers, right? Um, and part of the argument, and I think it's a compelling one, is that if you want to be like Jesus, you wouldn't be paid. Jesus was not paid for his ministry. Now, we know that him and his disciples had some kind of income. We don't know what that's all about. But we don't see any examples or have any reason to believe that Jesus was charging people for miracles or for, you know, his preaching or what, what have you. So it could be that some of them, you know, continued to work, for instance, while they... Uh, were with Jesus. They, they uh, pulled together, you know, what income they could. You know, it could be that Jesus continued to be a carpenter. You know, we just don't, we don't have any insight into their day-to-day -day or how they lived. We know that they got a lot of free stuff, you know, I say free stuff, services, maybe room and board, because there are a lot of women that are mentioned specifically, not men, by the way, a lot of women who followed and supported uh, Jesus and took care of his, you know, needs. I don't want to imply anything there, but but I don't want to not imply anything either. Uh, the bio is very vague uh, about all that, but I think that we can be on pretty solid ground by saying that uh, he didn't charge people. And when he sent out his disciples to preach, they were not allowed to bring money bags. This is very significant. This is significant. And this gives us maybe a little bit of a clue. You see, a money bag is what you would have used to carry your money, you know, a wallet. They weren't to bring any money with them. You know, it's not like they would have to leave their money bags, but they could shove their money in their sock. You know, that's not, that's not what it meant. So the, the, uh, the command to not bring money bags was also the command to not accept money. Because if you don't have a money bag, not only do you not have anything to bring money in, you also don't have any place to put money that people give you. So they were to, in, uh, to avoid the entire complex of money, is what I'm saying. While they were working for him, while they were working on kingdom business, money was not to be a part of it in 
any way. All right, so that's why I think it would be extremely unusual and in a very hard squeeze to suggest that Jesus gave his disciples those instructions, but yet otherwise, you know, during their day-to-day, they absolutely brought money bags and accepted money. So I don't, I, I just don't feel like that makes a lot of sense. So if you are a preacher in the style of Jesus, you're not taking any money. Yes, Jesus talked about a worker being worthy of his hire, but the hire that he was talking about was his disciples being able to uh, stay at the house of a person when they went to a city, find a house that they could stay at, stay there, do the kingdom business, eat what was put in front of them. They couldn't collect money and go out to eat at the nice restaurant. They had to eat what was put in front of them, and that was their pay, right? That was the oxen pay, the oxen wage, was was room and board. So I'm not talking about that. And so, all right. Preachers don't take the oxen's wage today. (laughs) They have salaries. It's, it's not the oxen's wage at all. It's not the Jesus' wage at all. It is not the worker's worthy of his higher wage at all. It's completely different. So, to reiterate, the, um, the preacher, if you, if you want to compare it to something, let's compare it to the humble farmer wage. You know, he planted the seed... So I get to enjoy the fruits of that, of that labor. That's one point of view, the humble farmer. And if you were that humble farmer, in the vein of what Jesus was talking about, you might get food and lodging, but no money, no salary. I think the strongest case that can be made from a biblical perspective, from a Jesus perspective, because this changes in the Bible, from a Jesus perspective, would be no pay at all. Now, like I said, no preacher is going to (laughs) agree with that. No active preacher is going to agree with that. So what they would say is, you should um, have no more than your, your modest needs met. You know, a salary may be akin to a teacher's salary or something like that. Not a, not a sports ball salary, but a humble farmer kind of salary. And I contend that if you're taking any wage at all, if you're taking any regular salary at all for any job description called preacher at all, you are already outside of what Jesus taught And if you're already outside of what Jesus taught, then what you are basically doing is inventing the role of preacher in a modern image. And if you feel like it's okay to just go ahead and invent this role, this job description, these qualifications, 
and the salary, then why stop at a modest one? So let's pick up the next point, prosperity. This is gonna come as a shock to many of you. I see no reason why preachers shouldn't receive jet planes and yachts and pool tables. <laughs> why not? I see no reason for this at all. Now, I know the objection. It's a very easy objection to make. It's the objection that I would make online myself. All right. the, the objection is, but, 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 but that goes against the ethos of Jesus. But for the Christian to make this argument, they have to take a position of hypocrisy because even the more humble role of preacher that they do think uh, should be paid, that also goes against the model that Jesus set, <laughs> that Jesus set up. Neither role represents what Jesus actually thought on the, uh, and taught on the matter. So you're not any more pious just because you take less money. <laughs> Because you're not supposed to be taking any. So you're not any better than the one taking jet planes. The one taking jet planes is just more successful. So let's look at this model. If, we, if what we're doing is we are saying that we should, you know, consider the church in its modern realities and, and work with it on a purely modern and practical basis. Well, the church is a business. In America, it is a 501c3. It is a nonprofit corporation, most of them. Now, they don't actually have to sit up that way. And a lot of them don't. But most of them are nonprofit corporations with, with some extra benefits. All right, in uh, other places in the world, the church is a fully integrated part of the government. Okay, so the, the church, as if it were some kind of pure thing, some pure kingdom of God, heavenly, otherworldly thing, is absurd. It's absurd. That is not how churches operate. The practical reality of churches is that they are businesses. Right? They're either government entities or they're businesses. Sometimes they're small businesses. Other times they're megacorps. They have boards and board members and bylaws and all of the trappings of a business. They have to earn money or else they go out of business. Okay? Plenty of churches go out of business. They close. All right. So if a church is a business, there's no reason why a church shouldn't be a big business. A mega church is just a mega business. It's a mega core. That's all it is. You know what mega corps have? They have mega CEOs. And you know what CEOs get paid? They get paid mega compensation packages. It's gonna be hard to find a CEO in the tech industry who doesn't either have their own private jet or doesn't have access to the private jet of the company. That's a part of, that's an expected part of a mega CEO's comp compensation package. They all either have yachts or enough money to buy yachts. They all have McMansions. They all have enough to go on elaborate uh, trips and vacations. We don't look twice at that, mostly, because these are the people who brought these companies trillions. Do they get paid millions? Yes, sometimes billions, but they brought their shareholders trillions. 
There's nothing wrong with that. Unless you just hate capitalism, which, which is fine. But that's just business, right? That's just business. That's all it is. The church is a business. And if you're going to have all of the other trappings of a business, then I see no reason why you don't why you can't have a CEO style preacher who gets a CEO style compensation package. Are, are you with me? <laughs> That's fine. If not, come at me, bro. Sis, I'm ready. I'm here. Let's have some let's have some discussion over this. Joel Olstein deserves every jet he has. And so does, Kim, so does Kenneth Copeland. Because they brought mega billions to their business. And they, they deserve this package just as much as Tim Cook deserves his package at Apple. It's business. Now, you might think, well, that's, that's crass. You know, that's nothing that Jesus had in mind. But Jesus didn't have any of this in mind. So, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Now, the... the final point, my conclusion, the real objection that I I think someone would make is, yeah, but those mega pastors of those mega churches are gaining their money by scamming people. All right, they're just leading people into religious scams, and they're bilking poor people out of their life savings. That's not right. All right, I hear you, but you are wrong on the facts. Oh, no, 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 you're not wrong about that part. <laughs> you're right about that part. The part you're wrong about is that somehow the farmer-style preacher, the humble farmer preacher, is any less a scam artist. That's what you're wrong about. The very idea of tithing as some kind of religious responsibility to God is a fucking scam. And so it doesn't matter if you scam $10 a week from a person or their entire life savings. It's just that one scam is bigger than the other, one scammer is more successful than the other, one business is more successful than the other. The business model is the same in every goddamn church every one of them they all collect money the same way now they might tell slightly different lies about it the mega church says you know you tie this money and you know you'll get a hundredfold in in investment but you know what the humble farmer preacher preaches sermons that read exactly the same way just on a less grandiose scale you know, because all of the money in the world belongs to God. And you want God to bless you. And yet you're not willing to give God even a portion of what he gave you. Why should you expect anything from God? Yeah, no, the, the, the scam is the same. It's the same scam. It's the same lie just one told on a grander scale by people who are more talented than you.
And so, neither the humble farmer model nor the mega CEO model has anything over the other. Neither one is biblical. Neither one is Jesusic. Neither one is covered in glory. And so we somehow go from the teachings of Jesus to every church with a paid pastor. All right. Okay. I'm going to leave it right there for now. I hope you enjoy this as I as I walk. No, not wheelchair, not crutch, not cane. I walk around this uh, grand shopping center outside way too cold I will see you in the comments bye bye